What's up, muggles and mentalgen? Um, <clears throat> welcome to a belated episode of Daily Science News. Hasn't been a whole lot of interesting stuff coming out, and we finally had a couple of cool articles pop up here. Um, these very cool journals, and I am going to blow through some of these with you guys. And one of them has to do with mosquitoes. And so I have some friends who are passionate about mosquitoes and mosquito science. So we are going to get into that. And it's going to take me just a second to pull this up for y'all. Okay, here we go. We have a new mosquito repellent that works better than DEET. Hello. I'm excited about this. I have friends that are like, it's DEET. It works good. I'm like, dude, don't spray me with that. I don't want anything to do with that. But here, January 24th, 2023, American Chemical Society drops this amazing summary, letting us know that in the age-old battle against mosquitoes, DEET has proven effective at keeping this nemesis at bay, but the repellent is smelly and its protection is short-lived. Now, researchers report in ACS Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry that they have designed safe alternatives that have some advantages over DEET, including a nice smell and much longer protection from bites. Hmm. Notice how they didn't mention uh, any of the non-safe uh, <laughs> side effects of DEET. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting self-censorship. They slipped it in there <laughs> when they said safe alternatives <laughs> have a some advantages over DEET, including a nice smell and much longer protection for bites. Okay, so that's great news for some of my friends. I don't know if I'm going to be participating in this. I think I'd rather just deal with parasites and uh, parasite cleansing and uh, mosquito bites than exposing myself to whatever they got without really having a good understanding of what's going on here. But sorry, I got a friend texting me. I seem to say excellent. <laughs> a friend is uh, letting me know how much they... Uh, enjoy some of the food we dumped from, we dived from a dumpster the other day. <laughs> I'm like the dump gods provide. So, uh, Francisca Danny and her colleagues wanted to look for alternatives to these established products. Uh, DEET, what it does is disrupts a mosquito's ability to locate humans. Until recently, it was considered the gold standard among topical repellents, but some find its strong odor offensive. It has to be reapplied frequently, and at high concentrations, it can damage synthetic fabrics and plastics. Creepy. Another popular repellent known as picaridin is now regarded as a better alternative since its protective effect lasts longer and it doesn't have an odor or damage items. However, like DEET, it has to be reapplied after swimming or sweating. That's not bad. So 
so france uh, i apologize uh so francisca danny and colleagues wanted to look for alternatives to these established products in prior work the team used uh, starting materials two plant-based natural repellents that offered only short-term protection from mosquitoes researchers converted these terpenoids into cyclic acetals and hydroxyacetals thereby extending their protective time span beyond that of DEET. The researchers wanted to improve the initial products. In the current work, the team synthesized additional uh, cyclic hydroxyacetals from inexpensive commercially available carbonyls. The new cyclic compounds had pleasant, much fainter odors and were easier to dissolve in water, meaning they can be formulated without high concentrations of alcohol. Some were as effective as DEET and picodirin at repelling Asian tiger mosquitoes, which have spread widely in the U.S. and carry diseases including encephalitis, dengue, and heartworm. Ooh, wow. And like uh, picoridin, they provided human volunteers more than 95% to protection from bites for at least eight hours, while DEET's protection rapidly declined below that level after just two hours. Toxicity of some of the most active new compounds was comparable to or lower than traditional repellents. Two hydroxyacetals were also less likely to cause immune reactions or to penetrate cell layers than picaridin. The picaridin, maybe it's picaridin, sorry guys. Uh, (laughs) The researchers conclude that their compounds represent a new class of promising mosquito repellents that can compete favorably with DEET and picaridin uh, picaridin in terms of efficacy and safety. Bada bing, bada boom. Journal of Agricultural Food and Safety. Thank you for that. You know, it's a little, little wins like that to just restore all my faith in humanity. Um, so here's a link to that article. Very cool. Totally learned something. And I learned a thing or two about the toxicity of DEET, which I've always had some questions about. So, let's see. Let's go into the next most interesting article. I might even drop some options here. Plague trackers. Did I, I hope I dropped the article. Researchers cover thousands of years in quest to understand the elusive origins of the Black Death. Warming reaches Greenland, cutting calories or intermittent fasting. White chocolate feels so good. This is a nice one. I'm just really into chocolate and I have an unfortunate relationship with chocolate. I need to stop eating it. Um, It's a toxic thing. It's not necessary. It's like a thing I do. Uh, My friend was just telling me how good the chocolate was. (laughs) So um, let's see. Here we have from January 13th, 2023, University of Leeds. Scientists have decoded the physical process that takes place in the mouth when a piece of chocolate is eaten as it changes from a solid into a smooth emulsion that many people find totally irresistible. By analyzing each of the steps that interdisciplinary research team hope it will lead to the development of a new generation of luxury chocolates that will have the same feel and texture but will be healthier to consume what 
Ooh, interesting. Wow. That's why chocolate feels so good. Mm, interesting. Okay. So I like this. During, let me make sure I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm not going to read this twice for you guys. Okay. So by analyzing each of the steps, the interdisciplinary research team at the University of Leeds hope it will lead to the development of new generation of luxury chocolates that will have the same feel and texture but will be healthier to consume. During the moments it's in the mouth, the chocolate sensation arises from the way the chocolate is lubricated, either from ingredients in the chocolate itself or from saliva or a combination of the two. Fat plays a key function almost immediately when a piece of chocolate is in contact with the tongue. After that, solid cocoa particles are released and they become important in terms of the tactile sensation. So fat deeper inside the chocolate plays a rather limited role and could be reduced without having an impact on the feel or sensation of chocolate. Okay. Anwesha Shakar, professor of colloids and surfaces in the School of Food Science and Nutrition at Leeds, said the lubrication science gives mechanistic insights into how food actually feels in the mouth. You can use that knowledge to design food with better taste, texture, or health benefits. If a chocolate has 5% or 50% fat, it will still form droplets in the mouth, and that gives you the chocolate sensation. However, it's the location of the fat and the makeup of the chocolate which matters in each stage of lubrication, and that has been rarely researched. We are showing that the fat layer needs to be on the outer layer of the chocolate. This matters the most, followed by the effective coating of the cocoa particles by fat. These help to make chocolate feel so good. Study published in the scientific journal ACS Applied Materials and Interface did not investigate the question of how chocolate tastes. Instead, the investigation focused on its feel and texture. Tests were conducted using a luxury brand of dark chocolate on an artificial 3D tongue-like surface that was designed at University of Leeds. Researchers used analytical techniques from a field of engineering called tribology to conduct the study, which included SITU imaging. Uh, tribology is about how surfaces and fluids interact, the levels of friction between them, and the role of lubrication. In this case, saliva or liquids from the chocolate. Those mechanisms are all happening in the mouth when chocolate's eaten. I'm going to have some chocolate right now. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot not. I mean, come on. <laughs> I ate a whole freaking package of chocolate last night, guys. It's not good. And right now I'm looking at a bar of salted peanuts plus dark chocolate. We got a 60% bar here. The crunch of salted peanuts meets smooth dark chocolate in every craveable bite, which is good because the fat in the peanuts is going to coat that chocolate and make it so much more amazing. And it's wrapped in gold like Willy Wonka bar, which is pretty cool. I feel like I just got a Wonka bar. Um, a Wonka. All right. Let's uh, see what's up. This looks like some good chocolate. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fucking good chocolate, dude. Mm. God damn, this is good. Okay. Mm. Nothing like it, guys. Let's look at a cup of coffee. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. I can feel the energy. It's the first thing I've eaten today. Okay. 
Sorry for the wait. Had to do that. <laughs> so, when chocolate is in contact with the tongue, it releases a fatty film that coats the tongue and other surfaces in the mouth. It's this fatty film that makes the chocolate feel smooth throughout the entire time it's in the mouth. <laughs> Dr. Savash Sultan Namadi from the School of Food Science and Nutrition at Leeds and the lead researcher in the study said, with the understanding of the physical mechanisms that happen as people eat chocolate, we believe the next generation of chocolate can be developed that offers the feel and sensation of high fat chocolate yet is a healthier choice. Our research opens the possibility that manufacturers can intelligently design dark chocolate to reduce the overall fat content. We believe dark chocolate can be produced in a gradient layered. Blah, 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 lost my place there. Um, gradient layered architecture with fat covering the surface of chocolates and particles to offer the sought after self indulging experience without adding too much fat inside the body of the chocolate. Revenue from chocolate sales in the UK forecast to go over the next five years, grow over the next five years. According to research from the Business Intelligence Agency, sales are expected to grow 13% between 2022 and 2027 each to reach uh, 6.6 .6 billion. The research be researchers believe the physical techniques used in the study could be applied to the investigation of other foodstuffs that undergo a, fa a phase change where a substance is transformed from a solid to a liquid such as ice cream, margarine, or cheese. Ooh, la, la. I like it. I like it a lot. That's a cool article. And I got to eat some chocolate while I was reading it, which is extra cool. Um, so let's see if this works. And I can drop this chocolate link in the chat. And feel free to call in, guys, if uh, you guys have any questions. Or even if you have... Uh, any uh, suggestions or anything you'd like me to read uh, into as well, I can do that. Um, we have some questions from Pedro says, can you believe I'm actually eating chocolate right now? Yes, I can. Cause chocolate's amazing. Uh, huzzah, dark chocolate from a specialty store. has to be good. The benefits of having your chocolate and eating it too. Right on. Uh, Hopkins medicine benefits of chocolate. Let's check it out. We're on a roll. I mean, a healthy relationship with chocolate. <laughs> Why chocolate shouldn't be your guilty pleasure. 2014 study showed that women who associated eating chocolate cake with celebration have more successful weight maintenance. Well, those who associate, okay, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Less success at long-term, short-term weight maintenance, feelings of helplessness and loss of control. Unhealthy eating behaviors, greater body dissatisfaction, reduced quality of life. Okay, so I mean, it's a cost-benefit analysis, but there's just a few ways the research has shown that dark chocolate can benefit you. It increases your heart health. The antioxidants in dark chocolate have been shown to lower blood pressure, reduce the risk of clotting, increase blood circulation to the heart, lowering the risk of stroke, heart disease, and death from heart disease. Balances the immune system. The flavanols prevent the immune system from going into override and reduce oxidative stress, which is an imbalance caused by cells fighting against free radicals and a common cause of many diseases. Compacts, 
combats diabetes. Epitetian protects uh, epicatechin <laughs> protects cells and makes them stronger, supports the process that helps the body to use insulin better, which might prevent or combat diabetes. Improves brain function. The flavanols in dark chocolate have a positive impact on brain function, including better reaction time, visual, spatial awareness, and stronger memory. Though research is ongoing, one reason may be flavanols increase blood flow to the brain. Boost athletic performance. Don't need to tell me twice. The epicatechin epicatechin in dark chocolate increases the production of nitric oxide in the blood. Hey, I have a nitric oxide test right now. We're going to take it. And uh, I'll let you guys know what happens. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Support circulation reduces the amount of oxygen an athlete uses while engaged in moderately intense exercise. Allows the athlete to maintain workout intensity for longer. Reduces stress. People who ate dark chocolate reported they felt less stressed. <laughs> Can relate. Researchers confirmed that after eating dark chocolate, there were reduced levels of stress hormone cortisol. It may be related to dark chocolate's effect on heart health, since stress is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Very cool. So the higher the cocoa content, the more beneficial flavanols you're going to get. Uh, most of the benefits seen in research associated with chocolate have seen at least 17% uh, cocoa content. You should always check the label. Be aware of calorie, fat, sugar content. And they don't mention it in this article, but a lot of heavy metals have been found in chocolate. So just keep that in mind and, uh, you know, try to get some organic, healthy sources for your chocolate. What's up, Pedro? How you doing this morning? That was a cool article, man. Hey, Bradley. What's up? What, what, what was I your question? About, I am about to take a nitrous oxide test right now. I'm going to see if it works. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the nitrous oxide test, but I. Uh, but I, I. I was listening, and uh, I was actually re- eating dark chocolate when you you were having a show about dark uh, about chocolate. What so, a cool uh, coincidence! Man. Yeah, halfway yeah. through the article, I had to get up and get some chocolate myself. I was like, man, I just I gotta get some chocolate. <laughs> you know, I was really. I'm a big. Uh, Wait on, hold on. I have a strange noise in my house. Hold on a second. I'm gonna. No problem. I'm gonna. Right now, I'm just taking a nitrous oxide test. So uh, I've just put my saliva on the test, and we're gonna see if my nitrous oxide levels have increased or decreased since the last time I took a test after eating some chocolate. (laughs) Last time, my uh, nitrous oxide levels were negligent, if, if they're at all. So I had the I had the tea. I put water on the tea boiler like uh, ten minutes ago, probably when I was on the queue, and it was uh, you know just uh, when the tea uh, water boils, it it does that sound, you know the you know when the the tea boils, right? Yeah, the the whistle. Whistle, yes, that's it. So, and uh, probably it was there like like five minutes whistling and I was here with my headphones talking with you so 
Yeah, so, no problem. Are there any areas of science you'd like me to explore in like an, an episode or any questions you have? Anything you'd like me to read about? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I never called to your show or listened to your show because, frank, frankly, I didn't found it kind of interesting. But now, on the second look, I do. I, I, I actually find it very interesting. So, but uh, yeah, they're not all good. Not all the episodes are good. It's kind of like uh, you know, hit or miss. And really, it's kind of uh, based on kind of what you like. I think too. I notice that some things people are interested in, I'm not interested in, and some things I find totally interesting, other people aren't into so yeah it's kind of like a personal thing when it comes to science articles <laughs> like what how much it relates to your life you know yes yes i'm a big fan of healthy stuff actually of uh, stuff to kind of improve your health generally mentally oh, or okay. physically so i guess daily science report i guess it's just a great title i never noticed this show actually so oh yeah i don't do enough of them um But there are some really good episodes in there as far as longevity and ergotines, like not, I forget what the ergos, they call them ergos. It's a protein or something found in soil with high fungus content. So when you have really, when you eat plants that are grown in really healthy soil, um, it'll extend your lifespan basically. And we had a episode on NAC and all kinds of cool life extension, health products and stuff. So I'll look into health. We'll do an, an article on health. How about that? Yeah, we can do a show together on, or I mean, not together, but you know, I, I can propose some stuff and, and DM you or something like that. Hey, man, we're doing a show together right now, dude. Um, so <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to go into health news for you and I'm going to see what I can find. Uh, here's the latest health news uh, mature lab grown neurons to treat humans. And we have the brain area necessary for fluid intelligence has been uh, identified. Um, we have, and if anything's pop out interesting to you, let me know and we'll go with that one. Okay. Agriculture okay. linked changes in age independent mortality in North America. So I think living close to a farm could really mess with you. <laughs> Our memory for objects might be better than we think. Young chimpanzees and human teens share risk taking behaviors. No kidding. <laughs> Childhood trauma linked to civic environmental engagement, green behavior. Wow. Relatable. <laughs> Scientists explain emotional blunting caused by common antidepressants. Ooh, ooh, that's a, I'm, I'm going into this one because I feel like this is important. Um, January 22nd, 2023 in the Chinese New Year, University of Cambridge drops one. Um, and They say here that scientists have worked out why common antidepressants cause around a half of users to feel emotionally blunted. In a study published today, they show that the drugs affect reinforcement learning, an important behavioral process that allows us to learn from our environment. Totally relatable. According to the NHS, more than 83 million patients in England received an antidepressant drug in 2021 to 22. A widely used class of antidepressants, particularly for persistent or severe cases, is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. These drugs target serotonin, a chemical that carries messages between nurses, we know. So one of the widely reported side effects of SSRIs is blunting, where patients report feeling emotionally dull, no, no longer finding things pleasurable as they used to. Between 40 to 60% of patients taking SSRIs are believed to experience the side effect. 
To date, most studies of SSRIs have only examined their short-term use, but for clinical use in depression, these drugs are taken chronically over a longer period of time. A team led by researchers at the University of Cambridge in collaboration with the University of Copenhagen sought to address this by recruiting healthy volunteers and administering, uh, administering escitalopram. <laughs> okay, escitalopram. An SSRI know to be one of the most best tolerated in over several weeks and assessing the impact of the drug had on their performance on a suite of cognitive tests. Okay, so this was E-S-C-I-T-A-L-O-P-R-A-M. Escitalopram. And uh, they had 66 volunteers who took part in the experiment. 32 were given escitalopram, while the other 64 or 34 were given a placebo. Uh, volunteers took the drug or placebo for at least 21 days and completed a comprehensive set of self-report questionnaires and were given a series of tests to assess cognitive functions, including learning, inhibition, executive function, reinforcement behavior, and decision-making. The results of the study are published today in Neuropsychopharmacology. The team found no significant group differences when it came to cold cognition, such as attention and memory. There were no differences in most tests of hot cognition, uh, cognitive functions that involve our emotions. Interesting. I've never heard those terms before. Cold cognition and hot cognition. Those are two interesting vocabulary words. So again, cold cognition is, you know, attention and memory. Um, and hot cognition is a more emotional um, cognitive functions. So the key novel finding was that there was reduced reinforcement sensitivity on two tasks for the escitalopram group compared to those on placebo. Reinforcement learning is how we learn from feedback from our actions and environment. In order to assess reinforcement sensitivity, the researchers used a probabilistic reversal test. In this task, a participant would typically be shown two stimuli, A and B. If they chose A, then four out of five times they would receive a reward. If they chose B, they would only receive a reward one time out of five. Volunteers would not be told this rule, but would have to learn it themselves. And at some point in the experiment, the probabilities would switch and participants would need to learn the new rule. The team found that participants taking escitalopram were less likely to use the positive and negative feedback guide, uh, negative feedback to guide their learning of the task compared with participants on placebo. This suggests that the drug affected their sensitivity to the rewards and their ability to respond accordingly. Interesting, guys. The finding may also explain the one difference between the team, the team found in the self-reported questionnaires that volunteers taking escitalopram had more trouble reaching orgasm when having sex, a side effect often reported by patients. Professor Barbara um, Shekane, senior author from the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Cambridge and fellow at Clare Hall, said emotional blunting is a common side effect of SSRI and antidepressants in a way this may be in part how they work. They take away some of the emotional pain that people who experience depression feel, but unfortunately it seems that they also take away some of the enjoyment. From our study, we can now see this is because they become less sensitive to rewards, which provide important feedback. So interesting, guys, and kind of sad, um, but I think it's important to address because 
I think there are healthier alternatives to depression that make sex even better. <laughs> so why not make that available to people? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about psychedelics. We're talking about forcing the payout here. I'm just going to drop that in the chat just for the record. <laughs> hey, Greg, be, uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Before I forget, since you mentioned dep depression, I think uh, Katie Hopper mentioned that today she's going to interview Gabor Mate, Aaron mm -hmm. Mate's father, at 7 p.m. Excellent. You know? it sounds like yes. a good show. Do you know who Gabor Mate is? Yeah, is that going to be on YouTube or Colin? Colin? Uh, uh, oh, no. actually, uh, actually, I don't know if it's YouTube or Colin. Okay, I have well, to. Well, that's cool. Either way, that's cool. Yeah, he wrote um, a lot about like autism. And what was that book he wrote? He, the last book is called "The Myth of Normal." It's uh, regarding. Uh, uh, it's regarding how trauma, childhood trauma affects our people that have problems with uh, with drugs and stuff like that or, or mm -hmm. the is is uh, kind of theory is that it's because of childhood trauma act, or something like that okay, I, well, I, Pedro thank you for bringing that up because in preparation for that interview I think it only makes sense for us to read the article about how uh, childhood trauma is linked to civic environmental engagement and green behavior, right? Uh, yes, uh, I mean... Uh, <laughs> so here we go. I, I think this article should be totally pertinent to the conversation today. Hopefully someone can um, maybe uh, ask about this. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. ID said Gabor Mate also uh, on the chat. ID says Gabor Mate also wrote a lot about addiction. The guy is awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Actually, his first book is called, uh, I forgot the name of the book. No, I don't know if it's the first, but he wrote a book about addiction. He is an expert on addiction. Addiction. He actually he, he was almost uh, threatened to be jailed by the Canadian police because he started doing uh, experiments, uh, not exp uh, recommending uh, that uh, South American drug that people take in, in rituals. I forgot the name. They get Ayahuasca. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, the, the Canadian police uh, threatened to arrest him unless he stopped uh, prescribing that. So I guess I guess oh. that's all kinds of a, that was a curious detail that I didn't know. I actually talked to Gabor uh, Aaron. My first ever calling show was to Aaron, and Aaron was interviewing his father Gabor, and I called and, and I. They didn't know I was Portuguese, and uh, Gabor uh, started uh, talking about uh, the the, po the drug policy in in, Pol in Portugal. That was a success story, and uh, and then, then I mentioned, "Oh, I'm actually Portuguese." <laughs> so it was kind oh, of oh, you're thing. Uh, Does that make sense? Did I say that right. What? I said you're todo bem. I don't know if I said it right. Is that Portuguese? Oh, to Dubai, yes, yes, yes. To Dubai, to Dubai, yes, yes. That, Dubai. That's, what, that's what my mother asks me every day. She calls me every day, so on the on the Skype. Cool. <laughs> and she, I, you, know, you, know, you know what's funny, man? Personally, like whenever I'm depressed or I need therapy, 
I talk to Puerto Ricans. <laughs> or Brazilians or Puerto Ricans or like or, uh, anyone who speaks Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like talk, uh brazilian talk, talk, people talk, talk, are just talk. like I, I talk to brazilians in particular because they're just like so oh, yeah, yeah. listeners they have like such a good culture of listening i guess and like really like have being like emotionally present i don't know it's really interesting but talking to brazilians and just learning some portuguese from them is like so therapeutic as an american <laughs> Yeah, Brazilians are super, super uplifting, you know, you just have a chat with them and you kind of, they, they are kind of uplift. They are always happy and, uh, you know, in a good mood. Something, something in the soil down there, you know, I don't know what it is, but they, they really got it going on in, in, in that one way. And yeah. I, I'd love to have a better relationship with Brazil. I was actually, and Mexico too. I'll say the same thing about Mexico. I can talk to people from Mexico and feel the same way a lot of times, not always, but, um, I don't want to be racist like that, <laughs> but Brazilians make me feel specially good. <laughs> They're really uh, nice to talk to as, as far as groups of people are concerned. It could be a cultural thing. could be a biological thing. Who knows? Um, but uh, I don't get the same. Yeah. I don't get the same kind of feeling from my fellow Americans. <laughs> uh, I was actually, I went to Brazil a couple of some years ago. On the, when we finished college, they gave us like a trip to go to Brazil to five different cities. And I, since you, do you, you talk about soil in Brazil, I was, uh, one day, uh, we were all, uh, in the hotel locked up and I was feeling kind of, uh, I'm tired of being here locked up. I went to, to do like a, a trip on my own, uh, at like 2 a.m. and, uh, my, my, Colleagues started freaking out. Are you fucking insane? Are you going to to walk on your own here at 2 a.m.? I mean, the city was, uh, I guess, was kind of safe, but you never know. It was a, a city on the north called Curitiba, I think. But uh, but you mentioned the, the smell of the soil, and now we, I remembered. I, you know, I have like. I had like a feeling of smell, like a tropical smell of, can you imagine like a tropical fruits and the, yeah. the, the smell of the earth, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah, I amazing. really think there is something to, I, I think there's an earthly component to the personality of Brazilian people. <laughs> there's something to do with the environment. My mom moved to Cozumel recently and she aged in reverse. She got younger. I swear to God. Like she, she, aged five five or ten years in the opposite direction where, where, it's the strangest thing where did she move to cozumel mexico oh okay well, and so that's where my mom stays now and uh, she says that the food that's available in the market there is so much better like the than the best organic products available in american stores that's very plausible because here we, we we eat all that that shit with like the artificial stuff and stuff like that maybe in mexico they no glyphosate. i think there's no glyphosate in mexico if i'm correct or there's there's some heavier restrictions on it certainly with corn i know at least mm -hmm. but shouts out to mexico for doing that and that's a perfect segue into this next article i think which is uh Man, this is like right on topic with what we're talking about. It's titled Childhood Trauma Linked to Civic Environmental Engagement and Green Behavior. 
<laughs> a new study based on survey data from hundreds of U.S. adults links experiencing childhood trauma to public environmental engagement later in life, such as writing letters to elected officials or donating time and resources to an organization. Um, the CU Boulder and Loyola, 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 that's hard for me to say, Loyola University study is one of the first in the U.S. to associate childhood trauma and public civic environmental engagement in adulthood. It also found that in addition to people who experienced childhood trauma, those who traveled and had experiences in nature as children were also more likely to report engaging in green behavior as adults, such as recycling, driving or flying less and taking shorter showers. Okay, I spent a lot of time in nature as a young man um, and I had childhood trauma, so I'm, I'm, I got two, I'm a twofer. Um, we set out to explore reasons or motivations why someone would get environmentally engaged versus not, and experiencing childhood trauma emerged as a really powerful motivator, said author uh, Uroj Raja, who earned her doctorate in environmental studies at CU Boulder in 2021. As part of Raja's doctoral work, the researchers conducted a survey in 2020 using a nationally representative sample about 450 U.S. adults to examine two types of environmental engagement, public civic engagement. I'm sorry, public uh, public civic engagement was measured in hours per month devoted to an environmental protection cause, such as writing letters to elected officials or donating time and resources to an organization. Private green behavior was defined as self-reported actions adopted by individuals or households to reduce their environmental impact. Previous research has shown that people who experience natural disasters as children are more likely to get involved in environmental causes, but these new findings show that childhood trauma of any kind is associated with increased interest in both private and public environmental engagement as an adult. This indicates there may be something about a formative negative experience that drives individuals to engage on a public policy level with environmental issues instead of only practicing green behavior. It suggests that there could be another way of looking at trauma, said Raja, who's now an assistant professor at university. Uh, I'm sorry, the School of Communication at Loyola University in Chicago. While the researchers can't say exactly why experiencing traumatic events earlier in life boosts the likelihood of getting publicly involved in environmental issues, they note the previous research has associated trauma with a strong sense of empathy and empathy with green behavior it could also partly be a coping mechanism to attempt to keep bad things from happening to other people or living things. Drivers of environmental engagement. Research in this area has often examined disengagement. Um, reasons why people don't act on pressing environmental issues. Raja team, Raja's team wanted to know what drives those who do engage. First, Raja interviewed 33 people who are highly engaged in environmental issues. She discovered many had experienced some kind of childhood trauma. It emerged as a very powerful piece of why people wanted to become engaged in environmental work. Second, they gathered survey data from about, I feel like this is kind of like repeating itself a bit, but they gathered the survey data from about 450 adults who reported that they had spent five hours or more in the past month working on environmental issues. They answered a series of questions about themselves, including their current civic engagement, green behavior, formative child experiences, gardening, swimming in a lake, or going on a hike in the woods for the first time, and traumatic experiences in childhood, living in poverty or experiencing hunger, not having a safe home environment, losing a parent or sibling, dealing with health issues, or enduring sexual harassment, assault, or bullying. 
the data revealed that childhood experiences in nature, travel, and trauma were all predictors for private green behavior in life. However, only childhood trauma was also significantly associated with public civic engagement. Trauma also had the largest impact on predicting green behavior compared to other formative life experiences. Studies in decades past, including work by Luis Chala, uh, Chala, a professor of Emerita in the program in environmental design have found a strong link between childhood travel experiences in nature and pro-environmental attitudes and behaviors later in life. New study confirms these types of childhood experiences still predict green behavior for adults today. This is another data point that supports the value of creating opportunities for people to contact with or connect with nature and the importance of these experiences for cultivating a society that protects the natural resources we all depend on. That was Amanda Carico, the co-author of the new study and associate professor of the Department of Environmental Studies at CU Boulder. Carico, who is trained as an environmental psychologist and teaches courses on climate change, has noticed many students and professionals in the field struggle not only with the weight of their work, but also with the experiences that may have led them to it. It's emotionally intense and exhausting, uh, noting that those who work on mitigating climate change are often part of communities directly affected by its growing impacts. You're talking about a community of people that seem to be carrying other kinds of emotionally complex burdens. The authors say the findings further em emphasize the need for people engaged in public facing or civic environmental work to have access to resources and support. Word. Uh, people in, talk to Brazilians, guys, uh, people in their own words have said that we need better resources, said Raja, making the link between adverse childhood experiences and the need for more resources for people that do this type of work is an important first, first step to making that happen. And again, guys, this goes back to forcing the peyote. You know, if you have access to things like mushrooms and cannabis and LSD and DMT, all that kind of stuff, it really makes dealing with the heaviness of saving the planet a lot more bearable it makes it just like second nature it's just something you do in the morning you know so here is a link to that article and i feel like that's a good place to wrap the show up today um does anyone yes. have any uh request for a future episode no, I, I don't. But we, uh, we we can. I can look it up uh, if I re, uh, remi remember our text. I, I just wanted to say that my dog. Uh, I think it needs some attention. I'm gonna end up put me on the on the listener only, and uh, I want to say hi to Jay, Terry, and Heidi. So that are on the, on the listeners. If they want to call, I I invite them to call because they are posting something on the chat. So talk to you. Talk to you later, Brady. Likewise, good, good hearing from you. Uh, thanks for the contribution to the show, actually, uh, today. Um, yes. It was pretty yes, interesting. Yes, yes. And yes. here we see, yeah, Heidi's saying that Aaron did the microdosing as treatment, and he recommended that. Yeah, we talked about Aaron Mate um, actually recommending psychedelics. Being radical in a positive way is probably not racist. Okay, yeah. I was being a culturalist, I think. <laughs> Just saying that Brazilians are incredibly therapeutic to talk to and it's it's free they're often willing to talk uh for free online uh, highly recommended um unfortunately the concept that private green behavior has the potential to do anything meaningful is the product of a corporate marketing campaign um i don't totally believe that um uh yeah i don't totally subscribe to that but i know what you're saying the, that they're trying to what they're trying to do there is they're trying to put the guilt of the 
toxic pollution on the planet onto the consumer instead of the producers of these products who are really kind of in charge of uh, in control of and in charge of the process, you know, governments and whatnot. So it's kind of shifting blame from the, uh, the leadership to the, to the workers. What's up, Heidi? What do you want to hear about next time? Uh, oh, I was just going to respond to exactly what you're talking about, what Terry said. And the thing about it is like all the groups, the environmental groups, like the green party and all that stuff that was actually arranged, set up and funded originally by the fossil fuel industry through a proxy. His name is Marie strong. I think it, I think it was, but yeah, so he has a point, but like uh, my response was, you know, absolutely. But that doesn't uh, preclude us or make it, make it a bad thing to have an environmental conscience, you know? So, I mean, like it it doesn't hurt. Yeah. We could all, we could all do better. Exactly. And one, one of these days we will overpower them. (laughs) Yes. Every little thing, every little decision. It all adds up, guys. Yep. Yep. And someday we'll overpower them and overthrow the establishment and make the world a utopia. No, I'm just teasing. Let's do it today. Let's do it today. <laughs> let's not wait for Yeah, let's, let's do it today. today. Hell yeah. It's, 10, it's 11 o'clock. Let's fucking do it. Right on. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this show up and then I'll, I'll open up a room where we can all talk and hang out. All right. Hi, Terry, Jade, and Pedro. Bye. Right. Guys, I'll see you on the flip. I hope everyone learned something cool.